What must I do to inherit eternal life? Asked the man who knelt before Jesus. You lack one thing, Jesus said lovingly in reply. Just one thing. You lack one thing. And so do you. And so do I. We all lack just one thing. Just one thing that keeps us from inheriting the promises God has given us. If Jesus told us what that one thing is, where would we find the strength and the courage to pursue it? What is that one thing that keeps us out of God's reign? That one thing that prevents us from embracing fully the beautiful rule of God in our lives? For the last several weeks, each Sunday in our gospel lesson, Jesus has named a different thing, a different challenge that is an impediment on that journey. Are we willing to take up our cross and follow him if it costs us our life? Are we willing to be last of all and servant of all if it costs us our place in society? Are we willing to cut off our hand or our foot or pluck out our eye if that is what is causing us to stumble? Are we willing to cling to God's kingdom the same way that the story of creation invites us to cling to marriage wholeheartedly and without compromise, even when things are tough? And today, in this encounter with the man who kneels before him, Jesus asks, are we willing to sell all that we have and give it to the poor so that we might find treasure in heaven? Some of those things that Jesus has named these last several weeks, those vices, those sins, require a bit of cultural translation. Think about divorce or marriage or personhood or gender. In order for us to understand what Jesus says to us now, we have to reach back into the ancient text and drag those concepts forward and retranslate them, at least in some way, to make sense of them. But when it comes to wealth, to possessions or riches, I don't think we need any help understanding what Jesus meant. Because I think our experience of wealth, both collectively as a society and also as individuals, our experience of wealth is so enormous that if anything, Jesus' words might not be sharp enough for our ears. This man who knelt before Jesus, the man who gets all of this going. What sort of man was he? Mark identifies him as someone who had many possessions. What does that mean? Is he rich like Jeff Bezos or rich like you and me? The words that are translated for us as many possessions can mean lots of land, lots of property, putting this man at the very upper echelon of society. But those same words can also mean lots of stuff, as in the man had a lot of stuff. Do you know anybody who has too much stuff? (laughs) We get a sense of just how broad Jesus' target audience was when he goes on to explain to the disciples after the man had left that that call to radical dispossession applies not only to the 1%, but to anyone and everyone who is wealthy or rich. 
When we hear those words, wealth and rich, we might bring to mind Scrooge McDuck, who dove into those piles of gold coins, that cartoon I love to watch and fantasize about when I was a young child. But actually, in the biblical context, rich and wealth don't mean that kind of money. It just means the stuff we need to complete our lives. Being rich, in the Bible's terms, means being able to meet our needs. It means being fully resourced. So it is to those of us who have just our basic needs met that Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell everything you've got, give it away to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. Those are hard words to hear in any age. So hard, so challenging, so frustrating are those words that Jesus, even before the disciples could open their mouth and say, what did you mean by that, teacher? Jesus explains to them just how hard this is. It would be easier, he said to them, for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than it would be for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's probably not wrong to hear at least a tinge of hyperbole with that statement. But as the theologian R.T. France puts it, the nature and degree of the renunciation of wealth that the gospel requires will be worked out differently in different times and different circumstances. But if we lose sight of the principle that affluence is a barrier to the kingdom of God, then we are parting company with Jesus at a point which seems to be fundamental to his teaching as all three synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, understood it. Now, as someone who meets both the biblical and the contemporary worldwide definition for what it means to be rich, I know that my possessions get in the way of my place in God's great and glorious reign. That's because I can't own anything, not a thing, without beginning to feel in myself at least some measure of a pull away from complete and total dependence and faith in God and instead toward confidence in my own self. In that way, the problem of riches is a lot like the problem of idolatry. You might remember that in the Bible, the prohibition against graven images is absolute. The reason being that the ancients understood that as soon as you have a painting or a statue or an image of God, you will inevitably worship that thing in front of you because it's a lot easier to hold on to. It's a lot easier to have a relationship with the things we can see than the one we can't see. In that same way, whenever I have food in my pantry and clothes in my closet and money in my bank account, I will always begin to believe that those things are my doing the safety net of my own creation, and not the gifts of God, which they always are. 
all of our possessions, all of them, no matter how magnificent or modest, all of them are obstacles to our full participation in the reign of God. Anyone who owns anything is in trouble. Unless you go to bed hungry tonight out among the stars, you already have enough stuff to get in the way of your being a part of God's reign. Then who can be saved? We rightly ask along with the disciples. And our hope is found in Jesus' reply. With mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Our hope is clinging to God, clinging to God's mercies, clinging to the one who loves us more than we can imagine. But it's a lot easier to cling to God and God's mercies when our hands aren't full of dollar bills and our arms aren't wrapped around our retirement accounts and our focus isn't on making sure we have enough money to take care of ourselves. How will we ever learn to depend on God when we have so much other stuff to depend on? It's a spiritual problem, but it's one that comes with practical implications. Although none of us is able to sell enough stuff in order to buy ourselves a place in heaven, we can adopt financial practices that teach us how to trust in God rather than ourselves. If our possessions are what are luring us away from trusting in God completely, then we need to find ways to get rid of them, at least some of them. If God's grace and mercy are what bring us closer to eternal life, we need to pursue whatever habits multiply those precious things in our lives. We need more of God and less of us. And the first step in that direction, the first step toward getting that balance right, begins with giving away a little bit more and keeping a little bit less for ourselves. When that man came to Jesus and knelt before him and asked what he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life, Jesus reminded him of the familiar commandments. When the man replied that he had kept all those since his youth, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Literally, Jesus agaped him. In that love, Jesus said to him, you lack one thing, just one thing. Only one thing is getting between you and God's promise of fulfillment in your life. Only one thing is standing in the way, and that one thing is you. We get in the way. We can't help it. All we have to do is trust in God, and yet that, there's, there's that part of us that needs to depend on what we can see and what we can touch, our wealth. But more than our wealth, our status, our ego, our wisdom, our happiness, whatever that is, Whatever that one thing is that is leading us to trust in us instead of God, that's the one thing that's getting in the way of our participation in God's reign. How do we let it go? How do we find the strength and the courage to let go even of ourselves and cling instead just to God? 
in a funny way that always surprises us. That strength comes not from us, but is itself a gift of God. Because God has loved us first, because God's love is so complete, so limitless, so perfect, we have been set free from the myth of self-dependency. Because God's love for us has no limits, we can afford to depend on God alone. Being loved like that gives us the courage to give away a little bit more of ourselves. And when we give away a little bit more of ourselves, we learn to trust and depend on God a little bit more. It's a virtuous cycle. And by loving us, God has taken the first step. What will we do in response to that love? Will we hold on to everything we've got or trust in God and let it all go?